Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight we're going to continue through the book of Proverbs, so please turn to Proverbs chapter 24. And the last time we got together, we were in in, uh, sort of a newer section in the Proverbs with uh, two or three verses most times that give a thought, uh, not just single verses like we had for the previous group of Proverbs. And what I did tonight is there's going to be a lot of cross-references because it really solidifies these thoughts in the in the book of Proverbs. And then there's going to be quite a few times where we stop in the New Testament and see um, what, especially what the Apostle Paul had to say to the church um, at that time so that we can make application to our own lives. Beginning in verses 1 and 2 in Proverbs chapter 24. Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their heart devises violence, and their lips talk of trouble, troublemaking. So here these verses uh, just go on to confirm what we've uh, read and, and studied many times in the Scriptures about not letting the appearance of the wicked person that might seem to be prospering entice you toward that kind of a life you know uh, it's very attractive sometimes the way sin is portrayed the way even wickedness is portrayed I I wonder to myself how these radicalized um, uh, terrorist groups attract followers there's you know they're obviously evil but there's something there that's attractive I, I don't know what it is I don't quite understand it myself but it's obviously attractive to a great number of people. So, you know, these, these verses here is just a warning to us that don't allow that to attract or entice you away from God. You know, sin in, in all of its forms um, can be uh, attractive for the moment. But... Uh, the, and the evil person might seem or the sinful person or the person who's in the world might seem that they're really having a great time, having a great life. And I think sometimes we, get, we can get caught up in that. And these verses here are warning us that um, eventually, you know, that person will, reality will strike. Rea- reality will come into their lives and you know you'll see what that does you'll see it take them down in in the book of james chapter 1 we see this progression of of sin and we see how easily we can sort of regress into into sin it says in verse uh, 14 and 15 of chapter 1 in the book of james but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. 
and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So you see here that it starts with your own desires that attracts you towards things of the world. And all you need to do is get enticed into that. All you need to do is get drawn into that. And whatever that is that's attracting you, um, it, it then goes to sin. When, it, when the desire is conceived, it brings forth sin. And then w- sin, when it's full grown, what happens? Eventually, it brings forth separation from God and death. So we need to be very, very careful that, listen, we're in the world. The Bible says that we're in the world, but we should not be of the world. You know, we, we, have, uh, we go to work, we go to school, we have neighbors, friends, family who, d- who are not saved. And many times they'll try to draw you in to a worldly lifestyle. And um, this, these verses are just warning us against that. Um, verses 3 and 4, Though wisdom, through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Just get the picture of that in your mind. You know, a house that's built on wisdom. A house, a home that's built on following God, following Christ. You know, and establishing it. Having that as your foundation. You know, for young people who are starting a home, starting a family, to have God be the foundation of that home. You know, and that's wisdom. That's real understanding. That's real wisdom. And when that happens, look what it says in verse 4. I love this, the picture. The rooms are filled with all pleasant, precious and pleasant riches. I don't think that means that there's a 60-inch flat screen in every room. I think that means that there are riches beyond material things that God blesses us with when we just give ourselves over to Him. You know, a household that's seeking God and desiring to please Him will be blessed. But we have a choice, don't we? And we have a choice individually. We have a choice when we start uh, our home, start our family. We have a choice to live our, uh, build our life on the godly foundation or the things of this world. If we choose God, we're choosing wisdom. And He will bless us, not necessarily, like I said, with material things, but the blessings of a home that trusts in the Lord and that serves the Lord are innumerable. I love what it says in Joshua verse uh, 15 of chapter 24. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. See, there's always a choice in this life, isn't there? We always have options. And, um, you know, it's just, it just depends on where our heart is. He goes on and says, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua was living in a land that was given over to idol worship. And just like today, we live in 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 a nation, in a culture that's given over to worldly things. The influences, and Pastor Joe spoke about that on Sunday, 
about dynamic influence. There are influences all around us that we, ha- we have to make choices about. So the person that establishes his life and his house and builds it on go- a godly foundation will be blessed. And the person who builds his life on Jesus Christ will, you know, doesn't say that you won't have any storms in your life, does it? doesn't say that you won't have any tribulation. As a matter of fact, Jesus promised tribulation to his followers. But he also promised, he also said, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He said, in this world you will have tribulation, but I have overcome the world. I love the picture that we see in Matthew as Jesus is, is preaching that sermon on the mount to his disciples and, and to us. In verse 24 and 25 of chapter 7 in Matthew, it says, Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. That says not only to hear the word of God, but to be obedient to the word of God. Jesus says, whoever hears these things, these sayings of mine and does them. So we need to put those things into practice. We need to practically live out our faith in obedience to Jesus Christ. And then it says what? The storm will pass by? No, the storms still come. You know, those things still come into our lives. But God will sustain us through them. That house that we built on that rock won't fall because it was founded on uh, the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Moving on in Proverbs 24, a wise man is strong. Yes, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel you will wage your own war and a multitude of counselors there is safety. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. So we see here the connection between wisdom and strength, the close association between those two things. And, and again, we have to get our minds out of the physical realm and into the spiritual realm because obviously this is not physical strength, but strength of character, strength of spiritual understanding. You know, when we have wisdom, and the strength is not in ourselves. You know, we will grow more in our relationship with the Lord when we get to a point where we admit that we're weak and that Jesus Christ has to be the strength in our life, not, not living our lives in our own strength. And it's through the good counsel of others, too, that we seek that wisdom and we seek this, the strength of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and when we seek God's wisdom, He will strengthen us. He'll strengthen us to do what? To accomplish His will. Because we all have a plan and a purpose that God's given to us. God's given us um, work to do, so to speak, in this world. He's given each of us gifts and talents and abilities to be used to further His kingdom. But we need to admit that we need Him, that we're weak in and of ourselves, and that we need His strength 
in order to accomplish his will. Because apart from his wisdom, really we can do nothing. It says, and again, here's where the Apostle Paul kind of takes this concept that we see here in the Proverbs and applies it to the, to the church in the first century. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in, in, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The Apostle Paul is saying here, and I, I didn't read the entire passage, but to give you context, he's, he's been praying for a long time for the, for the Lord to remove something from him. We're not exactly sure what that was. But he got a word from God in the midst of his prayer, in the midst of his really, I, it seemed as though in his desperation, you know, when it seems as though God di wasn't answering him, and many of us, I'm sure, have been there, and he got a word from the Lord that said, My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness. In whose weakness? In our weakness. God shows himself strong when we humbly admit our weakness and we, and we seek him more and more. So Paul goes on to write, I don't... I'm going to boast in my infirmities. I'm going to take pleasure in my weakness. Why? Because that shows God even stronger in and through my life. And then that really glorifies Him. And people don't see me. You know, people will know what I'm going through and expect me to fall on my face. And because I'm able to persevere through it, it's a witness to them of what God is doing in and through your life. I don't know what that is in each of your individual lives, but I know that we all go through stuff. And when God, when God allows us to endure and brings us through it and shows Himself strong in those things, then it's a, it's a, it's a blessing to others. It's a, it's a witness to others. Continuing on in Proverbs 24, He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of foolishness is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to, to men. Identifying here just the evil person who, as, as the foolish person, person. So it's equating those two things. So where we had wisdom you know, before, um, equated with, with a, a good life. We see here foolishness and evil being equated. Um, in verses 10 through 12, if you faint in the day of, of adversity, your strength is small. Deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? And keep, he who keeps your soul, does he not know it? 
and will he not render to each man according to his deeds? So a few different things here are being expressed. I, I kept those verses all together because it really expresses one complete thought. But the writer here is expressing sort of the struggle, the struggle that each and every one of us have with sin. And the fact that when we succumb to that sin, how much it brings difficulties into our lives. You know, adversity, it's, it's speaking of in verse 10, that can represent uh, trial, that can represent difficulties, but adversity can also represent sin in our life. A lot of times they go hand in hand. So the writer here is expressing that there's a struggle there. There's a struggle. And it shows that we're not depending on the Lord, that we're not trusting in God. You know, again, going back to the previous verses about, about strength and weakness, you know, it says here in verse 10, if you faint in the day of adversity, if you succumb to that, your strength is small. Why? Because you're not depending on the Lord for His strength. And either way, whether it's sin or whether it's just troubles and trials, you know, whatever that adversity is, if we succumb to that, to the pressures of life, so to speak, and if we don't seek the Lord and His strength, you know, it's just going to overwhelm us. But another part of this is, because we all go through this, and I think this is what the writer of this uh, proverb is saying here, because we all go through this, we are also exhorted to help others when we see that they're going down a wrong path. To point out to them when, when somebody's going off track. It says here, deliver those, in verse 11, deliver those who are drawn toward death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. So that's real trouble. That's when you have an influence over somebody's life, when you have a, a, a say, when, when you're given sort of that open door to speak into a brother or a sister or a friend in the Lord, and say, listen, you're going down the wrong path. You're stumbling toward the slaughter here. We should try to do that. We should exhort people, warn people. That's the loving thing to do. Now, of course, it isn't a pointing of the fingers. You know, it isn't one of those things where, you know, you're better than they are. So we always have to, we, we want to be careful how we approach that. You know, we just... We just uh, studied this as we went through the last chapter of the book of James at the Jamesburg Home Group the other night. And these last two verses in the, in the book, in James 5, verses 19 and 20, and of course it stirs up a, a lot of conversation. But these last two verses are, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way, will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's encouraging. That should tell each and every one of us as believers that we have a, an open door from the Lord, so to speak, to go to a brother or a sister in love, to speak truth into their life, to warn them when they're going down the wrong path. You know, 
we need to seek the Lord for strength for ourselves, you know, to get through the day to day, you know, to walk without sinning in this world, you know, but we also ask for strength to help those in our lives who are heading down that road toward death and destruction. You know, it's ultimately, you know, and again, this doesn't call us to judge. It just calls us to come alongside and to to help encourage and, and exhort someone. Because, you know, the end of those verses speaks about, really, it's God, God who knows. God who knows the intentions of our hearts. You know, people can offer a lot of different excuses to justify sin, but God is going to be the one that ultimately judges according to the motives of your heart because he, can, he really only is the one that knows that. We don't know. We don't know. So we come alongside someone or maybe someone came alongside of us at one point and said, listen, I, you know, I need to tell you you're going down the wrong path. I'm not here to judge you, but I'm here to help you and encourage you and to seek the Lord for strength in that. But then God, God will ultimately be the judge. So um, great application there for those, for those verses. Um, moving on in verses 13 and 14. My son, eat honey because it is good, and the honeycomb which is sweet to your taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, there is a prospect, and your hope will not be cut off. So this is the comparison of the Word of God to something that's sweet, like honey. You know, the wisdom of the Word of God, you know, when taken in, should be appealing to us. You know, whatever that sweet is that you are really fond of, whether it's chocolate cake or, or whatever, that, you know, the Word of God should, should just make you, give you that sense of sweetness as it enters into your mind. But I, I always like to offset that a little bit because sometimes the Word of God can be, can be kind of bitter. Sometimes the Word of God can contain some bitterness because we see judgment of sin. Ultimately, you know, God's holy and He's going to judge sin. And then what it does also is it kind of reveals those things to our lives. So we read the Scriptures and we kind of see that mirror of our own life. And sometimes that's not so sweet, right? Sometimes that's not easy to to take. And you know, I, I, I in Revelation ten, you know, John is writing here, you know, and he, getting into those chapters that speak of God's ultimate judgment of mankind on this earth. And so he writes in verse nine of chapter ten in Revelation. So I went to the angel and said to him, "Give me the little book." And he said, take and eat it and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. So that dual purpose of the scriptures to sort of draw people in, but also to, to preach you know, God's judgment, um, God's grace and mercy, of course, but ultimately God's judgment also on sin. And, and Paul was one who did that. You know, in Acts Chapter 20, verses 26 and 27, he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, 
For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. The Apostle Paul was faithful to preach the whole gospel message, which included, listen, if we, if we preach the, uh, the Savior, we need to preach the need for a Savior. You know, if we, if we preach that, that Jesus Christ came to take away the sin of the world, we need to preach the sin that's in the world. We need to preach the fact that we're all sinners, like it says in the Scriptures. You know, a lot of people want to only hear the sweet parts. And a lot of preachers only preach the, the sweet parts. But there's, a, you know, there's another side, so to speak, to the Word of God. That's the, the reality of, of sin, the reality of, of our need for a Savior. And, you know, we don't want to confuse people. We don't want to always just be preaching the sweetness. We want to make sure people understand the entirety of the Scriptures so they're not confused and they're not deceived. Moving on in uh, Proverbs 24, verse 15, Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not plunder his resting place, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. So, you know, wicked people are always waiting for the Christian to fall, right? Fall into sin so they can mock them, so they can ridicule them. And, uh, you know, notice when, uh, you know, a high-profile uh, Christian, whether it's a sports uh, celebrity or an actor or something like that, falls, or a high-profile preacher falls, how the media just, you know, is all over it. You know, so that's, that's just kind of typical. They're always waiting for us to fall. But notice God's grace. You know, he says, it says here that a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. You know, God is always giving second chances. God is always giving us chances to repent, to get our lives straight, to get our lives on track, and to turn back to God. You know, this number seven here represents you know, innumerable, really, often or several, you know, just, you know how many times you fall. You know how many times you have to go and repent and seek God's forgiveness. You know, thank goodness most of our sins are not public sins because our friends and family and, and the public don't have as much grace, obviously, as God does. So, uh, you know, we go to Him because none of us are perfect. We go to Him because we, we sin on a daily basis. We confess. We repent. We seek forgiveness and restoration. And, then, and we're, you know, our, our relationship with the Lord is, rest is restored. You know? But the wicked really always want to, they kind of, they want to see us stumble. But the wicked people don't, the wicked person, it says here, don't enjoy that same benefit. It says here, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. You know, they don't have a relationship with the Lord. They're not seeking the Lord for forgiveness. They're not seeking Him for restoration of a relationship because they don't have a relationship with Him. So they're going to, when, when they fall, they fall. And this moves into the next two verses here. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. 
and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Think about that. You know, I, I think this is hyperbole. This is not actually how God would do it. In other words, if we kind of rejoice when an evil person falls, and instead of God judging him, he's going to say, well, no, I'm not going to judge him because you, you know, rejoiced when he fell. Uh, ultimately, you know, God will judge. But, but just be careful that we don't sort of take pleasure in that. In Ezekiel, two verses in Ezekiel chapter 18 speak about this. And the Lord kind of showing us the Lord's heart in this. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord, and not that he should turn away his uh, turn from his ways and live? And then in verse 32 of that same chapter, for I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. See, just like, you know, the way God views you know, someone, uh, you know, an evil person, an unbeliever, so to speak, who falls, you know, his heart is for them to turn. You know, God's heart is for them to, to turn to him. You know, we shouldn't take pleasure in that either. You know, our heart should be to, you know, s speak the gospel to them if we have an opportunity or to pray for them, you know, that they would turn and that they would seek, seek the Lord. We should, make, we should take no pleasure in that. Verse 19, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So we see here again, you know, that temptation uh, to be enticed into, into that wicked lifestyle and for us not to be envious of that of that lifestyle because there's you know they're ultimately you know they'll be judged the apostle paul and we're going to just we're going to go again to on uh, another part of the new testament here in first corinthians the apostle paul wrote to the church at corinth regarding this and we can take some great lessons from from this because sometimes we read the account um even if it's in the scriptures of someone falling into sin or we read an account maybe um, on, you know, on the news of someone who falls and we say, man, we would never, that would never happen to us. You know, we would never succumb to that. And um, I think what was happening in the church at Corinth at the time that kind of in, uh, made Paul write this particular section in chapter 10 is the kind of the same thing. You know, that people thought that they were saved and that there was no way that they would that they would fall into sin in a certain way. So I'm going to read um, verses uh, one through five of chapter ten in First Corinthians. I think they're up there on the screen, and uh, sort of make the application here. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the sp same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, listen to this, but with most of them God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered 
in the wilderness. Now, most of them, two of them entered into the promised land. The rest of them died in the wilderness. So when, when Paul says most of them here, it's really, you know, it's an understatement. Paul speaks of the awesome blessings that the children of Israel had in God's provision through the wilderness, right? To the prefigurement of Christ in that rock. Remember when the rock was struck and it poured forth the water? That, that prefigurement of Christ that gave forth the living water? Yet they were not pleasing to God. They didn't please God. They should have been even more pleasing to God because He was present with them in that difficult time in the wilderness, but they weren't. Moving on in that same chapter. Now these things in verse 6 became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That Another word for play is sin. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. So they became our examples to live for God and not to lust after the things of the world. I love this perspective that Paul gives the church in Corinth because, again, we can tend to look at some of those Old Testament accounts of the sin and all of that, and we could say, never us, never us. And I think that's what they were doing, and Paul had to kind of set them straight there. Moving on, 9 through 12 in 1 Corinthians 10. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained. I would say most of them complained. And were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, then this is the... This is the verse that you should probably memorize, underline, and highlight. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. See, we need, we need to be careful that we don't look at others who fall into sin and think that that could never happen to us. We need to always be on guard because this whole chapter in the book of Proverbs speaks about the enticement, the lure, the attractiveness of sin to pull us away from God. So we can, take, we can really take great lessons, not only from the Old Testament stories, from the book of Proverbs to make application, and then as we see Paul kind of bridge the two in the New Testament in his letter to the Corinthians. So I wanted to hang there for a little while just so we could get really good application on that, those particular verses. And we're going to move on and finish up. Um, verses 21 and 22. My son, fear the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those given to change, for their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin those two can bring. So, so listen, God has established rulers, and if I had gotten to this chapter before the election, I would probably have had more to say about it. But... Uh, just these verses speak about God established law and order and that we need to be loyal to those who were elected 
you know, unless they're doing something that's completely against the scriptures. But it says here, don't us, do not associate with those given to change. Those given to change here is speaking of those people who would seek to overthrow the government, you know, through illegal means or through violence, you know, not the regular election process that we go through. That's the legal way to change government. It's good to change. You know, it's good to seek change, especially when, when the leaders are not following, uh, you know, following God. You know, if the administration's not promoting good godly values. So, listen, we weigh out the candidates as we've just been through, and we kind of figure out who might be the one that most exemplifies, you know, the biblical position, but uh, we'll never get perfection on, on this side of eternity. We know that. Um, moving on, these things also belong to the wise. Speaking now from the, the, this verse 23 to the bottom of the book, it is not good to show partiality in judgment. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous, him the people will curse. Nations will abhor him, but those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. So speaking of justice here, being blind and not biased in its position, that every decision that's made, every, every court decision especially that's made, should be based on the merits of the case and the evidence that's presented instead of injustice sort of being the norm. Because when that happens, when injustice becomes the norm, society becomes unstable and unpredictable because you never really know how things are going to go. You know, because there's never any, you know, there's never a, a standard, so to speak. Isaiah 5.20 speaks about, about this. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So we need to know, we need to have a standard of judgment in our society. And that way we we have a good idea of of you know of how justice is going to be uh, is going to come out in the end. Verse twenty six: He who gives a right answer kisses the lips. Just another way of saying that uh, a wise response is a pleasant response. Prepare your outside work, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward build your house. So here he's speaking about um, just. Preparing that foundation, you know, you know, talking about an agricultural society, you know, plant your crops, prepare for harvest, even if you have to live sort of in a temporary dwelling in order to do that, you know, do that first, plant your crops, establish, you know, your, your, um, your field, your work in the fields, then build your house, you know, kind of gives us a model for order and diligence in our life. And I think the same can be said in a spiritual sense to lay that foundation in our life. You know, a solid footing of belief in Christ, a relationship with God that then we can start to build our life upon. Because, you know, we have to establish that foundation first. First things first, sort of in, um, certainly in physical things, but in spiritual things also do not be a witness against your neighbor without a cause 
for who would you deceive with your lip for would you deceive with your lips do not say i will do to him just as he has done to me i will render to the man according to his work so this is kind of the um eye for an eye type of thing you know well he did that to me I'm going to do something to him. You know, Romans 12:17 here says, "Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men." You know, so you know, Jesus also uh touches on this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. I I'm not going to go there. You can read that on your own. Uh Matthew 5:38 to 44 just speaks about He clarifies this whole eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth type of thing, and he gives us instruction that that's not up to us that we're that we're to repay sort of evil for evil, but it's up to us to pray for that person who's persecuting us. You know, for bless that per to bless that person. to turn the other cheek. So you can read that on your own verses uh, 38 through 44 of Matthew chapter 5 to get Jesus's perspective on that. I'm going to finish up here in verses 30 to 34 in Proverbs 24. And I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns, its surface was covered with nettles. its stone wall was broken down when i saw it i considered it well i looked on it and received instruction a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man so we can just we can learn a lot just from observing people i think this is what these verses are telling us and You know, not that we want to see people make mistakes, but we sometimes we learn the best from seeing other people's mistakes. You know, he's he he the the writer here says, "I went by the field of a lazy man, and it was all overgrown with thorns. Instead of having nice rows of crops and and uh, you know a harvest ready to be ready to be uh, picked, it was just over all overgrown. So, you know, we learn f- from watching uh, others." You know the writer here saw someone who was not using wisdom and the results of his lack of understanding but he saw it and he just didn't walk away you know he saw it and he said you know what I'm going to c- contemplate that I love what it says in verse 32 I saw it and I considered it well I saw it and I really meditated on that you know don't let those things that you see just you know pass by without learning something from them you know because our life really it's a compilation you know of everything we see everything we take in everything we experience you know and we sort of we we sort of form our lives because of that we see something that we obviously see is wrong like this man here he saw his field was all overgrown he learns something from that you know there are lessons in those things you don't take pleasure in that but you can learn from that so as we continue through the proverbs our prayer is that we grow in wisdom 
we grow in understanding, and no matter what happens in our life, that we may walk more in the ways of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.